0: take our Bibles together and open them to our study of Revelation chapter 16. We've come a long way in our study up to this point as we are seeing all that is in store for the world in the future, time beyond even our time as God vindicates His His own holiness, His righteous character. And as he takes back creation from the rule of Antichrist. We have already seen the seven angels have opened the seals. The seven trumpets of judgment have already been blown. And now the seven bowls of judgment are being poured out upon the earth. As Randy said, this is a severe time i said last week there is no viewer discretion advised statement on what god is about to tell us there is no caution there may be things graphic too graphic for viewers to see this is full disclosure this is god's wrath in full display there is no viewer discretion here and in rapid fire succession in fact in just a few days, possibly even over the course of several hours, all of the bold judgments will have been unleashed upon those who have rejected Jesus Christ. And that is the imperative, that is the crux of the issue at hand here throughout this entire book. That is the matter before all of the world. It is Jesus Christ. The time of God's patience is over. The time known in the Old Testament by the Old Testament prophets as the great day of the Lord is now at hand. It has come. Judgment is falling upon mankind and the Bible tells us that this is exactly what mankind deserves. This is graphic. It ought to disturb our senses if we have not had our senses so seared that the graphic nature of the reality of destruction and wrath hasn't no longer has an effect upon us because our senses are so seared by everything we see that is so limited by way of what we see here. We need to be shocked. We we need to be stunned by the details so that we as Christians might be obedient to accomplish all that God has set out for us to accomplish while we are still on this earth for His glory. God has not only made a way for salvation through His beloved Son, Jesus Christ, but God has also made a means through which people will come to know Jesus Christ, and that is the gospel. We are here on this earth for that purpose. God could have simply in his plan and in his desire to save a people for himself. He could have just saved us and immediately translated us into the glories of heaven. But God did not do that. God left us here for a time so that we might indeed become ambassadors for him. That we might proclaim the excellencies of his glory and grace in Jesus Christ to a dying world. That we might tell everyone about the good news of Jesus Christ. Acceptable righteousness can be acquired. That's the point. And it comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. And the sad reality is this. If mankind will not surrender themselves to Jesus Christ as their Savior, then they will face the unmixed wrath of a holy God upon them forever and ever and ever and ever. This is the message throughout Revelation. And in the tribulation, we are seeing God's wrath being poured out upon Christ's rejecters. and It's actually horrific. It's a horrific scene to watch. No book, no writer, no human author could ever have given us more graphic detail than what we see here. We have already seen the first three bold judgments poured out. We saw that last week. Those who are Antichrist worshipers have been subjected to grave and painful illness through tumorous sores. We saw that in verse 2 of chapter 16. The first angel went and poured out his bowl into the earth and it became a loathsome and malignant sore upon the men who had the mark of the beast and who worshipped his image. You notice it doesn't say multiple sores, it says It was a sore. I'm not sure what kind of sore that is, whether that's some kind of cancerous sore, some kind of unknown illness that we don't even know yet, but it becomes something upon them that is both painful and grave through this tumorous illness that they have. And the ability for relief is greatly diminished, if not unavailable altogether, because in verse 3, the second angel pours out his bull into the sea And it becomes blood of a dead man. There's no longer the life-producing ability of the sea, the life-giving food that is necessary to sustain life throughout all of the world. Now the seas are a place of death. There is no life coming from the seas at all. And the smell of death is everywhere and what Was once a beautiful symbol of God's creation. Is now a symbol of God's wrath upon sin. Every living thing in the sea dies. So you have tumorous sores upon those who worship the beast. You have toxic seas. And then we saw the third angel. And it was upon the rivers, the fresh water. And they also became blood. So you have toxic seas and toxic rivers as well. So severe are these judgments that mankind and even some believers today get the notion in their mind that this is too much. That this is too much for God to do upon man. That it's too severe. Man is getting more than he really deserves. But our text reminded us last time in verses 5 through 7 as the angel over the waters proclaimed God's righteousness and holiness. Our text reminded us that man is getting not only what is just, but he is getting exactly what is right for him. God always does what is right. He cannot do anything but what is just He is holy, He is pure, God is righteous, and mankind is reaping exactly what He has sown. Verse 6 says that they poured out the blood of the saints and the prophets, that is, mankind who has killed the Christian, those who are proclaiming Jesus Christ, those who are promoting God, and that God has given them blood to drink. They deserve it. They deserve it. In fact, you could even think of it this way. It would be unfair if God overlooked the sin of mankind and did not execute judgment upon it. That would be unfair. Why? Because it would make the death of Jesus Christ on the cross a pointless and senseless act of a tyrant. It would make Jesus Christ's death meaningless and it would violate the very character of God. God must judge sin. He has to. And the severity with which He judges that sin tells us more about the severity of sin against God than it does about the severity of His wrath. The very reaction, the very exercise of the wrath of God against sin and the severity of that wrath tells us much more about the sin and the severity of sin against God and His very character. Sin must be punished. It must be punished commensurate with the sin itself. Therefore, the full unmixed wrath of God must fall upon men who have rejected the Son. Here in our church we have a cross that hangs behind me. It's a very beautiful piece of furniture, if you will. It's very ornate and nice, but the cross that Christ hung on was not ornate at all. It was not pretty at all. It was simply a rudiment of wood stuck there that Christ must die, that He must face the full wrath of God upon Himself. Now, those who have rejected Jesus Christ will face the wrath of God upon themselves. And if you've been tracking with us, then you know we are at the fourth bowl judgment. We're getting to the end. There's only seven. After the seventh bowl, Christ comes. So we're getting close to the end of the tribulation here. And this bowl judgment is the fourth bowl in verses 8 and 9. And I call this the sun turned up. The sun turned up. You have tumorous sores. You have toxic seas. You have toxic rivers and and, fresh water, right? Springs. And this you have the sun turned up. Verses 8 and 9 says this, And the fourth poured out his bowl upon the sun, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. And men were scorched with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues, and they did not repent as to give Him glory. You can stop right there. This is all we're going to cover this morning. We have communion here in just a little while. But I want us to understand the intensity of this fourth bold judgment. There is words today in our society. We understand them. We know them. We've heard them called global warming. I was reading an article this week, and it was titled, Global Warming, Is It Happening? And there's debates on both sides. Some say it is happening. And they say this, the earth is already showing many signs of worldwide climate change. They say the average temperatures have climbed 1.4 degrees Fahrenheit or 0.8 degrees Celsius around the world since 1880, much of this in recent decades. I don't know about you, but when it's 1.4 degrees warmer, I don't feel a whole lot of difference. I'm not sure if that's global warming. They say the rate of warming is increasing. The 20th century's last two decades were the hottest in 400 years and possibly the warmest for several millennia. I always like when scientists throw the word possibly when they're thinking of thousands of years back. They say it's possibly the warmest for several millennia according to a number of climate studies. And I didn't know this, but the United Nations has an intergovernmental panel on climate change. Did you know that? An intergovernmental panel on climate change called IPCC, which, by the way, is a political group, not a scientific group. And they report that 11 of the past 12 years are among the dozen warmest in the world since 1850. They say the Arctic is feeling the effects the most. Average temperatures in Alaska, Western Canada, Eastern Russia have risen at twice the global average, according to the Multinational Arctic Climate Impact Assessment Report. I always find that interesting. Isn't it interesting that the top of the world and the bottom of the world feel the heat the most? Why not the equator where it's the hottest already? It seems like that would always increase if it's global warming. You say the Arctic ice is rapidly disappearing. The glaciers and mountain snows are rapidly melting. For example, Montana's Glacier National Park is, now has only 27 glaciers versus 150 supposed glaciers in 1910. If you lived in New England last year, you would have never thought there was global warming. Coral reefs, which are highly sensitive to small changes in water temperature, have suffered the die-off because of temperature stress. And apparently, there has been an upsurge in the amount of extreme weather events, such as wildfires, heat waves, strong tropical storms, that some experts attributed in part to climate change. Global warming, is it happening? I don't know. High temperatures, melting ice, dying seas, wildfires, disaster after disaster after disaster that you watch on the news. And yet what John sees as this fourth bowl is poured out upon the earth is global warming like no man has ever speculated about before. You want to see global warming, this is it. When the fourth trumpet was sounded back in Chapter 8 and verse 12, the sun, moon, and stars were struck by that plague, but only one-third of them, and one-third of them went dark. That would have been global cooling. One-third of the earth, one-third of the moon, the stars, the sun goes dark. That's global cooling at a a rapid rate, a, a reduction in the sun's energy reaching the earth if one-third of it goes dark. But as the fourth bowl is poured out, now here towards the end of the tribulation, the the opposite effect is produced. The sunlight that is now reaching the earth is so intensified that God-rejectors are now scorched with fire. This again, notice, is both global in its impact and yet discriminate in its effect. You say, what do you mean by that? I mean it's discriminant in that it is only affecting the Christ rejectors, right? And men were scorched with fire, it says in verse 8. Men were scorched with fierce heat. All the beast worshipers, all the Antichrist worshipers, are now being burned with severe heat. It's global. That just simply means it's everywhere. It's not localized to just some little region like the Sahara. This is global warming at its best, but it is only upon beast worshippers. You say, how do you know that? You know that because the next verse, verse 9, says that those who are burned, notice, blaspheme the name of God. You see that? Men were scorched with fierce heat. By the way, that word fierce is megas. It's used 11 times in this chapter. It means great. It's great, 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 great. So all this is just stunning and shocking to John because it's massively huge in its impact. And the heat is massive. It's huge in its impact. And men were scorched with megas heat, with fierce heat, and they blasphemed the name of God. Christ followers do not blaspheme God. Most of the Christ followers in the tribulation have already died, right? They've died of martyrdom. We saw that back in chapter 5. We saw that even in chapter 12 through 14 with those who are killed during the time when the mark of the beast is being perpetuated upon the earth and those who will not take it are singled out and killed. And so one of the angels of God comes here, the fourth one, dumps out his bowl of judgment that he's been given by God and the very atmosphere seems to be on fire. By the way, the Lord Jesus Christ said this would come. Jesus said this would happen. We read it this morning in Luke chapter 21. Russ read verses 10 through 28. Jesus spoke of these things. That there would be earthquakes and famines and these kinds of things and the sun and the moon would, would have drastic changes and there would be fire upon the earth and mankind can't figure it out. All the great scientists of the world are trying to figure out all this different change. One third of the sun and the moon and the stars go dark and then the great upsurge in energy, they can't figure it out. No science can tell them what's going on. Men have no idea what's happening in our world. In fact, you read scientists today, there are some scientists that will even tell you that the sun is going to just burn out and die. That it's losing energy over time. But whatever theories they come up with, they'll never explain. They won't even need to explain what the text clearly says. The fourth angel poured out his bull upon the sun, verse 8, and it was given to it to scorch men with fire. Notice that phrase, it was given to it. Notice the sun, the creation of God, doesn't do just what it feels like doing. It doesn't just go out and say, oh, I think I'll get cooler today, hotter tomorrow. It does none of that. It only does what God gives it to do. And here is this very same thing. This is a God-directed action. It was given to it. The, the judgment for the sun was given to the sun. God is the one in charge. God is the one who warms it up. God is the one who cools it down. The sun will be given here divine permission no matter what the mechanism may be. God gives it divine permission. In fact, Isaiah chapter 24 and verse 6, Isaiah prophesying about even the end times to come, he says the inhabitants of the earth are burned and few men are left. Isaiah 24 verse 6. And by the way, the physical blessings of those who have followed Jesus Christ and who happen to be potentially alive even at this time will be evident to all. Because the world around them in which they live is being burned up and every human has illnesses. No one can get food in the seas. No one can get food out of the rivers. And they are on fire, and yet this one who follows Jesus Christ has no sickness and is not burned at all. It will be evident to who they follow, no effect upon them at all from these judgments, and the net result is that men blaspheme the name of God. They blaspheme the name of God. Now listen, we have to listen carefully to this because mankind's belief in the lie of evolution that things just started and now we have evolved into whoever we are. Mankind's belief in that lie here in the tribulation has now left them with the realization that the Creator God whom they believed was simply a religious invention Their belief in the lie of evolution and their notion that God was just an evolution was just the invention of some religious being, that false belief has been swept away. Their scientific materialism has left them helpless. And all they're left with is to begin to blaspheme. They blaspheme the name of God. Now if you don't know what blasphemy is, it's pretty pretty simple. It's simply to to think or to speak in a way that disparages the very character of God himself. This is why it is so important for us to let God define himself and we worship that God, not a God of our own definition. To blaspheme God is to speak or think in a way that disparages the very character of God or it attributes to God things that are evil as if He is the one who is creating or giving those things. And I think this is most likely what is taking place here. They who are on the earth are now attributing to God they are attributing to God All of this evil that is coming upon them as if God was evil himself. In other words, the reason this is happening to us is because God is such a wicked person. And so the name of God becomes the common curse of the day. They're saying things like this. How can a loving God allow this destruction upon us? I mean, if God is so loving, how could this be happening to us as people? And that is just a statement to say that God is cruel, which is attributing evil to God, which is attributing something that God is not to his very character, which is blasphemy. And all that is happening during the tribulation is being attributed as evil. It is being attributed as unfair. It's being attributed with the complaint of, we don't deserve this. That's everywhere. It's running rampant throughout the, the world. So God's name now is the enemy. The propaganda machine of the beast is now duplicated in its followers. All the media outlets, newspapers, television, radio, whatever it is that's still around, every media outlet, both public and private, now become the channel of speaking evil against God. I was thinking about this. This is really the reality of sin, isn't it? I mean, this is the outcome of sin, refusing to own sin as yours. thats This is the outcome. Well, when you refuse to own sin, when you refuse to take responsibility for your sin, it will always take you down the road of being someone who blames others for your sin and eventually blame God for your sin. It's the It's the global victim mentality run rampant right here. This is this is our society on steroids. It's not my fault. It's God's fault. It's your fault. It's everybody else's fault, but my fault. There's no ownership. All that's happening upon the earth through the judgments under the guise of Of the worship of Antichrist coming upon all of that. They're all blaming God for it. God's name is being drugged through the mud as if he is an evil God. You'd think, you'd think once they get to this point, all of this clear judgment going on from the seals to the trumpets to the bulls, all of this heinous activity taking place over the world, now they can't even explain it with some kind of scientific notions. You would think if you weren't a Christian, you'd repent. You would think if you weren't a follower of God, you'd fall on your knees, realizing you're the reality of what's happening, and you'd repent, right? I mean, after all, this isn't just, hey, I think I'll get up tomorrow and day, the day will be great. There's none of that. And so you think that there'd be repentance taking place, but that's not what it says. Verse 9, and when and men were scorched with fierce heat, notice the sun has given its directive and the action immediately takes place. Listen, all of nature other than mankind, listen, all of nature follows God's commands to the T. Mankind goes, enough of you, God, I'll take care of it today. I'll get to you when I want you. That's not what nature does. God gives nature a command. Nature does exactly what it says. It was given to it to scorch men with fire. And verse 9, And men were scorched with fierce heat. And they blasphemed the name of God who has the power over these plagues. And they did not repent. You want to know something? There's no atheists, no agnostics here. They all blaspheme God. There's no one saying God doesn't exist now. There's no one saying you can't know God now. There's no atheists, no agnostics. They know it's God doing this. They may have denied His existence in the past. They may have denied the reality that... God has placed within all men the knowledge of Him through what He's made, the invisible attributes of God, His invisible, His divine power, His invisible character, is clearly seen through what He's made, Romans 1 says. They may have denied that reality, suppressed that truth in their own unrighteousness, but here they're not denying it anymore. They know God's doing this, and they still don't repent. It's amazing. Repentance. To change your mind about sin. Metanoia. That's what it means. To change your mind. When someone truly repents of their sin, they change their mind about the sin they are doing. It doesn't mean they change their mind and go, Oh, I didn't like that sin. I'll do another sin. That's not repentance. No, they change their mind about the sin they're doing. In other words... In fact, turn back there for a moment with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I'll just show you this in action. Ephesians chapter 4. There's a great description about the, the very character of a Christian. The, the portrait of what a Christian is. What what it means to, to be walking in the Christian life, right? We're not like the Gentiles, he begins to say in Ephesians chapter 4, who uh, walk... Uh, according to the futility of their mind, he says in verse 17. They're they're darkened in their understanding. They're excluded from the life of God. Why? Because of the ignorance. And it's a self-imposed ignorance that's in them. They know God, but they've pushed it aside, Romans 1 says. So it's a self-imposed ignorance because of the hardness of their heart. Okay, that's the pagan world. That's the unsaved world. Those who don't want Jesus Christ. And they become callous. They've given themselves over. Notice it was them doing that. They refused God. Therefore, in doing that, they've given themselves over to sensuality, a practice of every kind of impurity, greediness, worldliness. That's, that's what non Christian is. But Paul says you didn't learn Christ in that way. If indeed you have heard him who have been taught in him just as the truth is in Jesus, In reference to what? In reference to your former manner of life, you you lay aside the old self, all that stuff which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit, and you be renewed in the spirit of your mind. You you fill yourself with truth. You've turned from sin now to God, and that turning from sin to God produces in you this this desire for the truth of God and. This desire to put off the old, put on the new. See, you have the likeness of God, which has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Verse 24. So, therefore, you lay aside falsehood. You speak truth. In other words, whereas before you were a a deceiver, someone who, who hedged your words in order to get what you want, now you speak truth to one another. You went from being a liar, a deceiver, to now a truth speaker. It's totally different. You've repented from that. You now do the others. Now, if you get angry, don't sin in your anger, verse 26. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Why? Because it just gives the devil more opportunity to trip you up. So instead of being angry now, now you don't allow that to control you. You push that aside. You follow what God says. And if the thief repents, he not only stops stealing, let him who steals, verse 28, steal no longer, but because he's had a change of mind about the act of stealing, sinfulness out of the act of sinning, he now becomes, notice, a giver. Let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. And instead of being someone who takes from others, now he not only works, he works so that he might have the opportunity to give to others. He's gone from being a taker to now a giver. John or Paul goes on to talk about speech and all of those things because we are. In Christ, verse 32, treating others like God has treated us. So there's ownership when it's repentance. There's ownership of every aspect of sin that is committed. There's an ownership of the sin. There's an ownership of the, the consequences of the sin. There's an ownership of the reality of what it's going to take to be restored in the process of repentance and the fruit that that takes and whatever that takes. Nicodemus used to be a a taker, or I'm sorry, Zacchaeus used to be a taker of money from people as a tax gatherer. The day he got saved, gee, he said he wanted to make things right And, and Jesus told him he needs to pay it back. He said, I'll pay back four times what I took. I'll do whatever it takes to be right before men in the eyes of God. Not because he would be more righteous if he gave four times back. The repentance proved a righteousness before Jesus Christ through faith in Christ. And yet it was this outward act that showed it was a fruit of repentance in his heart. It was ownership of every aspect of the sin. So for true repentance to take place... There has to be inward change. And that inward change, if it's genuine, always, listen, always produces outward change. If there was true repentance in the heart, there is always outward change that takes place. No outward change? You've got to wonder if your repentance has been true. The thief thinks differently about stealing. The liar thinks differently about lying. And outwardly, the thief stops taking. Outwardly, the liar tells the truth. But in Revelation chapter 16, go back there now. In Revelation chapter 16, they refuse to repent. And they did not repent. That means they did not think of their sinfulness in any kind of different way. And therefore, there was no outward change in their very life. They refused to admit their sin, which would be a sign, by the way, of taking sides with God, agreeing with God, seeing your sin as God sees it. And to truly admit one's sin is to, notice, glorify God. They did not repent so as to give Him glory. You say, why does repentance give God glory? Why does me acknowledging my sin bring glory to God? I'll tell you why. Because it recognizes God as being right. And that gives God glory. That shines the light on God. God, you're right about my sin. It shows God to be righteous in His assessment of sin. When we acknowledge our sin, if these people would be acknowledging their sin, it would... It would show God to be right in His assessment of the sin, and thereby God, and His character and His righteousness, His holiness is is honored. When we repent, it, it, it glorifies God because it vindicates God in His judgment. It says of God, "You are just to do what you are doing to me. Whatever the consequences that lay upon me because of sin, you're just, and it's right for you to do that." And that shines. Glory that shines honor upon the very character of God as who He is. When we repent, it acknowledges God's right to judge. Then say, "How, how dare you do that to me? Why is that happening to me? Listen, there's none of that in a true repentant heart. A true repentant heart sees God's right to judge, acknowledges God's right to judge. Because God is holy. And God always does what is right, just like the angel over the waters said. Repentance glorifies God because it shows God to be worthy of worship. God is worthy of worship, and God displays His holiness, and our repentance shows that God is holy. God is to be glorified. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whatever we do as Christians, whether we even eat or drink, even in the smallest details of life, we're to bring glory to God. We're to glorify God in all that we do. That is, we're to reflect the very character of God in everything we do. And God is glorified when men repent. Out of reverent fear, out of a reverent right fear in the heart of men, some during the tribulation have repented and followed Christ. But now, here, when we get to the bold judgments, just like Pharaoh during the time of Moses, when Moses was being used as an instrument of God to bring the plagues down upon Egypt, now, like that, hearts are hardened and men run to destruction. It's the same thing, just like the Egyptians. The sun that melts the wax is the same sun that hardens the clay. Heard the statement. It's all the same with the gospel of Jesus Christ. The son, S-O-N, that melts some hearts is the same son, S-O-N, that hardens some hearts. And those hardened hearts will go to destruction. And as we're reading here in Revelation chapter 16, this is a horrific time. God meeting out his divine wrath on sinners. But this is still future. This is still to come. Now, here and now, today is the day of salvation. Now is the time for salvation. God says, believe upon my son and you will be saved. The beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, Peter preached. The very first message that the church-age saints ever heard, and it pierced them to the heart so that when they got to the end, they said, what shall we do? And Peter said, repent and believe. Repent and believe. That is the essence of the gospel. Take ownership of your rejection of Christ. know that God is right to judge you if you've rejected Christ. If you sin in any kind of way, God is right to judge you and believe. Why? Because His wrath was poured out on an innocent Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross at Calvary. For all who will believe in Him by faith, there is salvation. God says, turn from sin. Turn from sin to Christ. Turn from yourself to my son, and you will be saved. Tumorous sores, toxic seas, toxic rivers, and the sun turned up. Global impact. In the next three judgments, there's there's a concentrated impact upon the beast himself. False religion will be once and for all finally done away with. I don't want to go any farther, but this morning we're commemorating once again the Lord's table. <clears throat> it's a reminder. It's, it's, uh, it's an encouragement to all who believe. What you see up here before us is, is just that. It's an encouragement to us that Jesus Christ is sufficient for our sin. That through His death on the cross... The wrath of God that was deemed for us was poured out on Him so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Second Corinthians 5.21 says that. Leviticus 17.11 says life is in the blood. <clears throat> Christ gave His life so that we who deserve the full wrath of God might live through him. It's an amazing thing that God would even think to do that for us. And so this table this morning that we're about to come around is for those who have repented and believed. There's sin separating you from God. Even as a Christian, if you have sin in your heart that you know that needs to be dealt with, you need to spend some time even this morning dealing with that before God. And if you're unable to do that, if you sin against somebody else, maybe there's something in your heart that you're unwilling to relinquish before God, then allow the elements to pass by until your heart is right with God. Because this table is for repenters. It's for those who believe. We'll take a moment now as we bow our heads together and set your heart right before God if you need to and thank God for the provision of His Son. When we're done praying, Randy will come, we'll sing a little bit, and then we'll take the elements together. Father, we're grateful this morning for our time together, this brief look, really, into this fourth bowl judgment to come, and the great heat. We know it won't be a heat wave, it'll be a constant heat it will burn men what a torture what a deserved torture for all those who reject you for you have been so gracious you have offered time and time again the gospel of your son Jesus Christ to them if they would embrace Christ by faith and they continue to reject i pray this morning that the message is clear that today is the day of salvation and i know in a group this size there's got to be somebody here lord who doesn't know jesus christ maybe by some happenstance in their life some circumstance which you've allowed they have stumbled upon this place unsure of what they might hear this morning and they've heard the truth of the gospel of jesus christ the saving power of the gospel in their life if they would just acknowledge their sin repent of it turn to jesus christ in faith accept him as their savior Lord, if that's not the case, if their heart's not willing to know you, your word clearly tells us in John 3 that the wrath of you is being stored up day after day until the day of wrath. Lord, we would be the same if it were not for your grace to draw us to yourself. Draw them to yourself. Cause each one here to be so grateful of the salvation they have in Jesus Christ that they can see nothing else of more value than you. May this be an honoring remembrance of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.